Stories of Communism 36, Radioactive Spinach for Kids. Welcome to Stories of Communism, the podcast where we discuss what life is really like for those unfortunate enough to live under communist or socialist governments. Recording from the suburbs of Portland, Oregon, this is Eric Seligman, your co-host, along with Manuel Castaneda. Today we're going to interview Nora Clinton, author of Quarantine Reflections Across Two Worlds. Nora discusses her early life in communist Bulgaria, her experiences on moving to the West, and the ways in which recent events remind her a bit too much of her past. Let's hear what she has to say directly. Yeah, so I, I just finished reading your book, and I really enjoyed it. Um, only complaint was Thank that it was a bit, bit too short. Uh, I wanted more. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate so, that. Yeah, so um, so I guess so that's why we're doing this interview. So, so maybe um, you can start by telling us a little bit about your background, uh, what, where, and when you grew up, and how you came to write the book. Well, I grew up. I was uh, born and raised in Sofia, which is the capital of Bulgaria, and I spent the first half of my life today, uh, today under communism, and the second half. Uh, in the United States, and the pandemic gave me an opportunity to reflect, and I was also watching especially how young people are struggling, and they were trying to make sense of what's going on, and I felt that if I were to share my experiences and my reflections and provide a comparison, a frame of reference between communism and what it is to grow up in a communist country and how fortunate we are to live in the United States, that would help people understand better all these issues that uh, we are currently facing. So this was the immediate impetus for my writing my book. So when did you write the book, Nora? Uh, I wrote it very quickly, actually. A lot of these thoughts were already ripe in my mind, and I wrote it... uh, between April of 2020, and it uh, got published in September last year, late September. Oh, congratulations. Uh, Thank so, you. What, so what are some of the big memories that you have from the time you were in Bulgaria? Well, uh, I spent my childhood and early youth under communism. And for many people, uh, when they think of communism, and especially if somebody who lived in the West visited a communist country, they would immediately see a depressing gray atmosphere and poverty and misery. But to me, the biggest problem was really the lack of freedom and the constant pervasive fear that was a feature of our daily lives. Even telling a joke could get somebody in trouble and even get somebody killed. So I remember uh, when I was in high school, I attended a a party for one of my classmates' birthdays, and then somebody suggested that we all tell jokes. And even though we were little kids, I mean, uh, young teenagers, we knew that this would get our families in trouble. So we had to swear an oath that we would all participate equally in the telling of jokes and not report anyone. And in fact, there was a famous Bulgarian musician, a violin player, who was a wonderful person. His name was Alexander Nikol, and he had a nickname, Sasha the Sweetheart. And he delighted 
the public with his beautiful music. And he was just uh, an amazingly wonderful person. And because he told jokes about the communist government, he was sent to a camp, which was a stone quarry with very brutal conditions. And he only survived several days after arriving there. So this was a real fear. And I often tell people who are asking me what the basic difference is between our, what we have in the United States or in other free societies and uh, communism and socialism. And to me, really, the basic difference is not so much the misery and the poverty, but the way individual rights are treated. Because socialism really has no respect for the individual. To a socialist and a communist in particular, an individual is nothing more than the cells of the human body that can be discarded if needed. So I think a lot of people say, well, the theory, the Marxist theory was good, but the implementation was faulty. But that is not true. All the problems in my mind of communism are the direct result of its its, um, pernicious philosophy because basically it says that individual rights to life, to uh, freedom, to property don't matter. And this ultimately gives permission to, to the government to take away these rights. Yeah, so so maybe you could mention a little. I think the scariest example of that I saw in the book was your story about what happened to you during Chernobyl. Maybe you can talk about that a little. Yes, uh, very few people know that um, many people in communist countries had to take part in forced labor, and these were the so-called married brigades. So groups of uh, high school students, university students, soldiers, had to uh, do various things to help uh, uh, the communist economy, which, of course, had a lot of trouble because it's uh, predicated on a non-working principle of a planned economy. Um, So we would uh, work in a can factory or pick vegetables or um, engage in building activity. And when I was in uh, eighth grade, shortly after the Chernobyl um, catastrophe happened, we were forced to go out in the fields and pick up uh, spinach. And at that time, our um, school principal even called the Ministry of Health and inquired whether this would be a safe thing to do. But they assured her there was no problem. So all day long, and it was rainy, so uh, the radioactive cloud was spreading and uh, it had reached Bulgaria. So we were picking uh, spinach, and at the end of the day, Actually, the government decided that this spinach was poisonous and radioactive, so they destroyed it. So this was part of their cynicism. We spent all day uh, engaging in this activity and being potentially exposed, and then it was all for nothing. And, of course, um, I've seen data, for example, from the World World Health Organization, which is not a very trustworthy Mm -hmm. source, in my opinion, but they say that we can't really tell that many people died as a result of Chernobyl, but I think we simply don't know because there were a lot of incidents of cancers and other diseases. And to me, of course, I, I believe that nuclear power can be a very good safe source as long as it's managed properly. So it's not really anything. I have nothing against nuclear power per se, but I have something against the way communist governments would, would hide accidents and the way they would treat their population. So this was their biggest crime. 
one of their biggest crimes in, in the way they treated people. Uh, how, how did you find out that communism was not, a, not something you could support? At what point or what, how old were you? Well, even when I was a child, I would sometimes hear my family whisper they were afraid to be openly critical. But I, I started to think that maybe what we are told in schools and we were indoctrinated as early as during our uh, kindergarten years, but I started to think that maybe there's something wrong and maybe what our teachers are saying and what those people are saying on TV, on the radio, maybe that's not quite true. But, uh, of course, people's survival instincts are very strong. So we learned, uh, even when we were very young, we learned to think for ourselves and believe one thing, and then when we were in public, we would say a different thing simply because we didn't want to be killed or we didn't want to expose our family. And then finally, after um, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, there was a very strong movement in Bulgaria, and I was at that time in my last year of high school, so I took part in all of the rallies, and I was very happy to see that uh, freedom was coming to my homeland. So at that point, I was fully anti-communist. So maybe you could also uh, share the story. I love the anecdote in your book about your first capitalist uh, ham sandwich that you ordered. Uh. <laughs> yes. So I arrived uh, in the United States uh, almost uh, exactly a century, uh, half—I mean, a quarter of a century ago. And I was very fortunate because I won a uh, scholarship to do a doctorate in classics. So I arrived in Ithaca, New York, and I, I was uh, walking around and I was looking for a place to eat. So I went to this cafe and it had a typical uh, kind of bohemian student atmosphere. And I just ordered a ham and cheese sandwich. And then the uh, server gave me about... 20 different choices, what kind of ham, what kind of cheese, what kind of bread, what kind of uh, various uh, things like salad, uh, pickles. So I was almost fearful because I realized that this is what abundance and um, free market economy looks like. But this is just a trivial example. But what I find even much more important than the uh, abundance of goods uh, is basically the spirit of meritocracy and liberty that I experienced since day one. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, since you mentioned your uh, your scholarship to the U.S., there's another thing I was curious about. How do you survive as a classics professor being anti-communist? It seems like academia <laughs> is so extremely left-wing in the past few decades. Um, it, it must have been kind of hard. Yeah, in fact, I left academia. Uh, so about 10 years ago, I simply decided that that's not a place for me. So I make uh, a distinction between education, and I believe that the true education is very valuable. But Marxist indoctrination, which is practiced in many Western universities, unfortunately, is something that is quite dangerous and not valuable at all. So I would argue with my colleagues and try to explain uh, how bad socialism is, how bad communism is, but mostly to no avail. So I pursued other things, and that's another example of how wonderful the United States is, because in my 40s I could uh, uh, get uh, 
new education in different fields, so I work in a completely different field these days. And I will always cherish my classical education because I think that knowing history is one reason why a lot of people who are classicists are less likely to fall prey to communist propaganda, but I, I don't have a very high opinion of a lot of Western academics because I think that they're ungrateful to this wonderful country and I think they're severely misguided. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, I actually send my daughter to a private uh, high school that calls itself a classical Christian school where they purposely try to emphasize things like the Iliad and the Odyssey instead of the latest, you know, fashionable book by a lesbian of color. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to hear more about what you think the classics can teach us about, you know, um, what we should appreciate about maybe limited government and capitalism. Well, I believe that uh, the knowledge of history in general, the true knowledge of history, not the uh, version that's being taught uh, for the past several decades, and classical education can teach us first that very little is new under the sun, because a lot of people think that they're coming up with the greatest new idea about social progress, about uh, politics, about philosophy, and most of this has already been done and has already been practiced. So the very idea of in the individual and the individual value, in a way, is a classical idea, but not only classical. Um, also, the, the idea of democracy, of course, is something that uh, we should thank ancient Athens for. And actually, I, I'm always amazed anytime I read the Founding Fathers by how educated they were and how well they knew the classics. And they realized that direct democracy by a simple majority vote is not necessarily always a good thing. So that's why they combined the consent of the governed with the system where we would have some eternal principles of human rights, of liberty. And once we have this, uh, whether it's a constitution or other, um, other set of principles, then we can really talk about uh, an informed and enlightened democracy. But I believe that classical education is very valuable for any young person, but it's, of course, not the only way to become aware of the dangers of utopia. So how how did you um, how do you think uh, people buy into the idea of communism and giving up giving away their rights their personal freedoms? Why do you think that happens? Well, I think that um, unfortunately, people, especially young people, especially people who don't know history very well or who haven't been living in a, in a country and haven't been exposed to um, having to uh, basically fight for their survival every day. It's easy to manipulate people, unfortunately. But there is another reason, and I think that uh, uh, the fact that schools, universities, mainstream media, they're inundated with Marxist intellectuals, and I think that's very harmful. So there's also an intentional attempt to manipulate people. And also, uh, one thing that I've noticed, and in fact, I'm working on another, maybe a sequel to my uh, little book that I published, but I, I've noticed that especially socialists and communists, they like to manipulate the language of democracy, and they would take terms that sound wonderful, and they would put totalitarian, uh, oppressive meaning into those terms. 
So that is another way to manipulate people. For example, when they talk about social justice and equality, and they then put in completely different meaning into those mm -hmm. terms, and then people just look at the nice words and they believe that this is all uh, with good intentions. And I think there's a, a tremendous disconnect between what is on the surface and what socialism truly is. So they they are winning the the war with language words like equity and inclusion yes. and things like that. that yes, they all exactly. sound great. Uh, they all sound great. Who's going to argue against that? But at the yes. end, they're completely twisting the meaning of the words. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, the provisional title of my uh, next book is the thieves of words because they're stealing words and they're putting completely different meaning into those words and it can be traced uh, uh, to totalitarian ideologues of either persuasion be, be it national socialist or communist and totalitarian ideologues are masters of manipulation propaganda and deception much better than free democratic thinkers It's very, very interesting to hear your perspective. Uh, what? How old were you when you left uh, Bulgaria? When I was when I left Bulgaria, I was about twenty-five. Oh, okay. So, so. I I had already uh, so basically Bulgaria was already free. So uh, Bulgaria abandoned communism together with the rest of Eastern Europe around uh, nineteen eighty-nine, nineteen ninety. Okay. And I wasn't uh, I wasn't really planning to uh, emigrate, but I just fell in love with the United States and everything it stands for and its philosophy. So I made it my second home. And what do you what do you do now in the United States? Well, I uh, I work um, uh, in the field of legal operations management, so it's a very practical field, and I'm, I feel useful, and I'm very happy doing that. But also, my husband and I created a foundation uh, in Bulgaria, and also a non-profit charity in the United States that helps promote educational cooperation, but also American values. So we've been trying to help educate people about history um, uh, of all periods, but we have published a lot of books on the history of communism, um, and we even have a website uh, about the victims of communism in Bulgaria, because this is still a taboo topic for many Bulgarians. It's painful for them to talk, and it's very difficult even to go and find out how many people were killed, uh, because a lot of these people, they were physically destroyed, they were destroyed the archives were destroyed, so... Um, we tried to restore this, and uh, we collected a lot of information, but it's still a lot more that needs to be done. So I'm happy to be helpful in this way. So, so has the Bulgarian culture sort of moved wholeheartedly over to capitalism, or has there been some backsliding there? Like, I know we have cases like, for example, Russia, where you have a former senior communist, now uh, pretty much the dictator. <laughs> Um, while other places have done a little better. How, how's Bulgaria been in that scale? Well, Bulgaria has uh, moved. Uh, I mean, Bulgaria joined NATO and the European Union, which was good. But uh, the former Communist Party, unfortunately, still has a position in Bulgaria. 
And they simply, one day they decided to call themselves a socialist party, and they pretended to be a benign organization, and um, they were unfortunately accepted uh, with the rest of European uh, democratic socialist parties. So I would rather not <laughs> see the Bulgarian Communist Party have any position these days, but its, it, its position is weakening. However, some people do feel some nostalgia uh, about communism, which which is shocking to me. But I think for many people, and these these aren't people who really took advantage uh, of the regime in any way, but probably what they miss is their youth. And uh, life is still difficult in Bulgaria. But I would say most people really like capitalism and like freedom. Also, Bulgarians tend to be practical people. They're not uh, ideologically fanatical about anything, which was a useful quality to have. Uh, during communism. So now I, I think, you know, when you speak about uh, the people having nostalgia for communism, I mean, it occurs to me that one thing that communists are good at exploiting is fear, right? So probably there's a lot of right. like elderly people who grew up thinking, you know, well, we'd have a guaranteed long-term pension, you know, provided by the government. And of course, in the end, that would have been, you know, very low, but uh, it was some sort of security. And it seems like there's some similarity right now to like in the US, the way we've given up so many of our freedoms out of fear of a disease. And I think that that similarity occurred to you also, of course, since you titled your book, uh, Quarantine Reflections. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that relationship. Yes, absolutely. I think for a lot of people, this nostalgia is also driven by fear. And um, in all honesty, a lot of them are truly struggling. And I'm especially sympathetic to older people, who, a lot of whom are starving. So that is unfortunately true. But the solution, of course, is not communism or socialism. Because even so, Bulgaria wasn't, even though we were very poor, it wasn't the same as China or the Ukraine or the Soviet Union for a very simple reason. And it's because Bulgaria is a relatively small agricultural country. And a lot of people had relatives in a village who would uh, secretly grow uh, some produce or have animals. So starvation was not as bad as in other places. So there was a bare minimum of, we just had enough food to survive. And most people would have, a salary which was ridiculous, but was it was just enough so they wouldn't really die of of hunger. Mm-hmm. So people equate that with some false sense of security. And in fact, unfortunately, I, I read some place that freedom is, is really not such a, a major drive as safety. And most people would prefer safety over freedom, which is unfortunate. But uh, I think it's true for for most of history and most of the world. Maybe um you know as we're getting close to the uh, the end of our time period, Nora. Like, what would be your message today for kids going to college and seeing all this information about how awesome socialism is, and and what should they think about uh, before they commit to an ideology? Well, I think that first it's very important to know history uh, because they need to realize how fortunate they are to live in the best country in the world. And the only way to know that is to realize that there are other historical periods, other societies, other countries where things were very, very different. So in this way, uh, that's why I wrote my book, Quarantine Reflections Across Two Worlds, and I think it has been very helpful 
for students, um, young people, to make a difference between uh, communism, between socialism and a free democratic society. But also what I see, and this again goes to the notion that the communists and the socialists are uh, thieves of words and they manipulate language, there has been a tremendous confusion between classical liberalism and socialism. <laughs> and actually, if people uh, look at history, they would see that socialism, if we go way back to writers such as Henri Saint-Simon and other French philosophers, actually it originated as the antithesis, as the opposite of liberalism. And it is the exact opposite, because classical, normal liberalism respects individual freedom and economic freedom. Socialism doesn't care for individual rights and focuses on an abstract social good, on a social group. And I think this is what I see in American politics these days, that a lot of people who call themselves liberal, they're in fact socialists. And I think that there's still some good, normal, classical liberals. And if we help these people differentiate uh, classical liberalism, that is, we want to improve the human condition. But the only system that successfully has lifted uh, millions of people out of poverty is capitalism. So we are all in favor of gradual improvement of human life. But socialism, anti-Americanism, anti-Western tradition, these things are radical and they can only bring uh, harm and devastation. And I remember listening to some lectures by Alan Kors, who is a, a distinguished professor of history at the, uh, Professor Emeritus now at the University of Pennsylvania. So he said that uh, no cause ever in the history of all mankind has produced more cold-blooded tyrants, more slaughtered innocents, and more orphans than socialism with power. And I think young people and politicians should realize that and they should separate uh, normal classical liberalism from any ideas about socialism because it's never worked. As always, you can see a link to Nora Clinton's book as well as to one of her foundation's websites about victims of communism in Bulgaria in the show notes at storiesofcommunism.com. And this has been your story of communism for today. <laughs>